Welcome to CareerPod, your Audible Career Fair podcast. I'm your host, Dana Francis. Does being paid to go to school sound like something that might interest you? Are you the type of person that enjoys the outdoors and staying in shape? This week, we journey back into the world of construction trades with Jamie McMillan from Kick-Ass Careers. If the trades are something you are interested in, you might want to head back to our episode with Crystal Bone, Ridsdale journeyman, carpenter, scaffolder, and teacher. Or if you want to learn more about the trades version of the Olympics, you can head back to our episode with Victoria Anderson from Skills Canada, Alberta. In this episode, we chat with Jamie all about her work as a journeyman iron worker and apprentice boilermaker. I can't wait for you to learn about her organization, Kick-Ass Careers. This woman is truly inspirational. This was our very first phone interview, so I hope you enjoy. Today, we are joined by Jamie McMillan, journeyman iron worker welder, apprentice boilermaker, founder of Kick-Ass Careers, and active advocate for careers in the MITC sectors. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So while I was doing my research, I came across this one article that read you were one of only 16 females working for your union of over 1,800 employees. So that like that kind of just blew my mind. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's less than 1%. So how did you find yourself in this career path? Well, it kind of goes back for, well, 16 years ago. When I was in high school and going through high school, nobody told me about career paths in construction. And I struggled academically in school, but I did really good at the hands-on portion of school. I didn't think that there was a future in college or university for me, but that was the only thing that was promoted. Um, So I did take a number of different pathways to get to where I am now. And I did end up going to a short college program and spent some time doing that career of choice that I had chosen, but it didn't make me happy. So when I was in my mid 20s, I had moved to Hamilton, Ontario in search of finding what I could do to make me happy. I, I wanted a career that I loved and I didn't love what I was doing and happened to be walking down the street to go get groceries when a woman pulled over in a car, rolled down the passenger window. She was speaking on her phone and she asked me if I had a pen. So I was looking through my backpack for a pen for this woman when she actually got out of the car and walked around to get the pen from me and happened to recognize me from high school, which was 500 kilometers away from where we actually were in Hamilton, Ontario. We had gone to high school together in Timmins, Ontario, and we were actually not really friends in high school. She was kind of my high school nemesis, so it was kind of funny to run into her. But over a 15-minute curbside conversation, she told me that she had done an apprenticeship as an iron worker and had been working in the trades for a few years and was making really good money and didn't have to go to college or university and had an earn while you learn opportunity. So I thought it sounded interesting. So I looked it up in the phone book and there was no internet that I was on back then. Um, So I looked it up in the phone book, found the address for the union hall that she was a part of. And I actually just went and applied and got accepted by some some sort of fate, I guess, and uh, became an iron worker apprentice. And that's how I discovered the trades. So what were you doing before again? So before that, I, I actually have a little bit of a sordid past because I actually dropped out of high school in grade 12 when I realized that I didn't think an academic pathway was for me. But my mom actually convinced me to go back to college as a mature student, and I ended up taking a PSW program, which is a personal support worker program. And I graduated from that 
Um, I didn't do, do so well on the theory, but I totally rocked the practical side and ended up spending a few years doing uh, home care and worked in nursing homes. I know for many tradesmen and women, one of the hardest parts can be getting your foot in the door. So you just picked up the phone book and went into the union. But say I was someone else that was curious about becoming an iron worker. What are some of the steps I could take towards entering this field? Well, there's a lot of steps that you can take now through different pathways in schools. And I'm, I'm in Ontario. So in Ontario, we have a lot of different programs through the high school system that will lead students into those types of pathways if they're interested. So for example, we have the Ontario Youth Apprenticeship Program that students can sign up for in grade 11 and 12. And what it actually will do is start setting them up with the proper courses they need that are construction related. And say they're interested in a welding career, they could even get set up through co-ops while they're still in high school to go and work at a shop for the day, still getting their credit, but working towards that goal of becoming a welder. While they're in school, they actually also get to put hours towards their pre-apprenticeship through the Ontario Youth Apprenticeship Program. Now, I don't know if this is across the province, but this is what, I mean, across the nation, but this is what we have in Ontario. And I believe there's similar programs. For somebody who's not going through as a pathway in high school, there's always maybe taking a tech program to kind of figure out what trade you want to be in. So you can go to a college and take a one-year program that's a basic construction program, or you can apply for different apprenticeships through different industries. So uh, one, I always promote going through union pathways, so applying to different unions to get into the apprenticeship. But there's also a lot of like factories and different places like car plants, hydro plants, steel plants around here. There's the gas and oil industry. There's several different types of places you can go to uh, apply for apprenticeships. Yeah, and we have the, well, it's very similar, but we have it as called the RAP program in Alberta. So very similar that you can get involved in the trades when you're in high school, which I really wish I would have done that back when I was in high school or born and raised in Fort McMurray. It's a very trades-centric community. And the fact that it took me to 30 to get to this point is kind of kind of makes me just kick myself in the butt when there's so many opportunities when you're younger but I guess it's kind of you live you learn yeah exactly it's meant to be when it happens for a reason so I know not everyone's built for the trades what are some of the attributes of people that you would say thrive in this kind of work environment like obviously you have to be able to work outdoors and it's a very physical job at times it can be, but when you think about construction sector, it's so vast that, I mean, there are indoor jobs, there are outdoor jobs, and a lot of people think they're not built for construction, but I think that a lot of people are and just don't necessarily think they are. So people who say are artistic, uh, people who like to play video games, or people who, I don't know, do sports or anything like this, it's it's, it's people that are working with their hands and doing things. And most kids growing up will do chores around the house. And, you know, we do dishes and we have to shovel in the winter and all those things are hands on things. So I think that the construction trades definitely aren't for everybody because everybody doesn't want a career path in that particular aspect or field. But I think that everybody has what it takes to do some hands on things, even if they don't comprehend or understand all of the sectors. There's definitely ability in everyone to do some hands-on stuff. I don't know if that made sense. No, it's perfectly. Like I I always gravitated towards the arts when I was younger and, you know, top of my class all throughout high school and it never really I never put two and two together that 
the trades could be very related to the arts, but it is. You see things in your head and you can build them and you're doing things with your hands versus a lot of uh, your sciences and your socials and all that. Like it's subjects that require a certain amount of memorization and oh god i was awful at physics just oh, me too. wretched <laughs> yeah for sure i really accelerated in school when it came to hands-on opportunities so i did woodworking i had signed up for small engine mechanics i loved like drama and english media because we used to be able to make videos and do creative stuff so anything that was creative and hands-on i really excelled in but the problem was Nobody was saying when I was in high school that, oh, wow, you're really good at this. You can get into construction. You can be a skilled trades worker because it wasn't they were only advocating on behalf of college and university at the time. So there there are so many different possibilities in the construction sector. And even for people who are not maybe people are like more um, intellectuals or they're um, academics. We need academics in the industry as well. And there are those people that are both academic and hands-on. And those are the types of people that we definitely need in the trades to become our engineers and our project managers and people who are really good with both. And honestly, some of the smartest people that I know are actually skilled trades people um, that didn't probably do so well in the academic side of school, but really rock those uh, practical things that we had in school. Yeah, it's just amazing. Some of the guys I've worked with, it's like they have calculators in their heads that I'm just always in awe of some of the things that they're able to do or just some of the ways that they're able to, they can dissect a part of the plant without even being there because they've just, they know the processes in their head. Like obviously to read prints, like there's definitely a lot of technical, I'm not to say that uh, intelligence is not needed or something for the trades because there's obviously a lot of things and a lot of aspects of the trade that you you need to be smart but it's uh what if it, what would i call it it's just i find it's a like it's just a different process a different way of thinking like your brain can think mechanically uh whereas some people like for example some people can read a book and understand a book and sit down and do a book report i can't even get through a paragraph and i've already forgot what i've read so I just get to that point. But if you give me something, for example, one of my favorite parts of being in the trades as a boilermaker and iron worker is the fact that we get to move stuff around all the time. So if we take like a big vessel or a big modular section and we have to pick it up with uh, cranes and cribbing and blocking and we have to jack and slide it over or we have to put rigging like come alongs and chain falls on it, my brain can quickly process how it has to be done and where the rigging has to be. And I can like, I can formulate that in my brain and just kind of see it and understand it before it's actually happening. Whereas some people wouldn't be able to see that, but they would definitely understand the theory side of it more than the actual mechanical side of it moving. Yeah. And rigging's no joke. Like you definitely want to have people that are experienced and know what they're doing because that's like one of the number one incidents out on most sites is it always seems to be rigging accidents. Yes. It's awesome to have skilled people in that area. Could you tell us what a day at work might look like for you? Like, well, obviously it's not the average nine to five and there is a certain amount of shift work involved as well. Could you tell us what your days look like? One of the things that I love about the construction sector and my job is that my days don't always look the same. My days are very diverse. Some days I might be working in a steel plant, um, doing some sort of maintenance job. 
And then that job comes to an end. And the next day I might be working at a hydro plant doing a very different job. So I love, I love the diversity of the job. And I love the fact that we're, we're always working ourselves out of a job because we get hired to put up a structure or maintain a structure or do maintenance on a structure. And then once that job is complete, we actually come to the end of the job, we get laid off and then we're about, we go to a new job. So we're always, always moving around to different places. And like just last year, for example, one day I was working at a steel plant doing maintenance in a hopper in a confined space. And a couple weeks later, I was working as a contractor on a, with the linesman for Hydra One, and we were climbing transmission towers and putting special coatings on the transmission towers for the summer. So I get to do really cool things with different groups of people all the time, and my crews are always changing up. So my jobs could be varying from day to day, and that's, I think, what really drives me to love my job so much. That would be awesome working on the towers. Like I was curious when it comes to obviously uh, there's a lot of working at heights with your profession. Would you say if someone was afraid of heights that this would be a career that they should maybe stay away from or is it kind of situational based? I would never tell anyone to shy away from trades if they are afraid of heights. Several trades like the boilermakers, you could be up on the side of a stacker way up in the air. Ironworkers, you're up on the structural steel. Scaffolders, they're up all the time doing work at heights. You have a lot of trades that you can work at heights. But if you are uncomfortable with heights, if that's not something that you like to do, it's not something that you have to do. It doesn't mean you can't be in that trade because every trade has so many different aspects of the trade. So, for example, as an iron worker, you don't have to be a structural iron worker. You can be uh, a rigger and work with the cranes. You can be a rod buster and do rods with them. You can work alongside uh, somebody in a fabrication shop. There's so many different aspects that you'd never have to work at heights and feel uncomfortable. And in fact, you don't have to ever do anything at work that makes you feel uncomfortable because you have the right to say no and you can't be discriminated against it. So you can definitely do several things and there's so many aspects to every career that choice in the trades that you never have to do something that makes you feel uncomfortable. That's awesome. Like my experience working alongside iron workers has always been more so heights related. So it's like from one industry to another, obviously it's going to change. So that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Well, it's, it's funny because I've been an iron worker for 16 years and I'm not, there's not a lot of structural out of my local. We're more of a maintenance local. So whereas uh, the Toronto Union Hall, which is our neighboring hall, would be a lot of structures we're more into steel mills and car plants and those sort of things. So in my 16 years, I, I've probably only spent, I don't even know, like a small percentage of it, not even 15% where I've actually had to work up at heights on the steel. Oh, wow. Yes. I often work out of man baskets and stuff like that, or up on platforms that have handrail or temporary handrail. But um, yeah, it's not often that I have to walk out on the steel beams. It's funny because I'm in the opposite situation that I'm, I always seem to be on the ground and I want to be up high. Like I remember seeing when, you know, they're up in the man basket with the crane and I'm like, Ooh, that would be so much fun. <laughs> yeah, for But sure. I've just never had the opportunity to do it. I always kind of like hint at people. Oh, I could, I could do that if you wanted me to. <laughs> well, it's definitely a rush. When I talk to kids in schools, I always talk about the first time I had to walk on the iron. And I remember being so nervous. My, my knees were shaking. 
my heart was pounding so loud that I actually like I couldn't hear you know when your adrenaline is so pumped that you like you almost don't remember things in the aftermath like if you went bungee jumping or something you you kind of don't remember everything clearly but you just know it was like kick ass Mm -hmm. well I remember the first time I had to walk across this deal because my supervisor wanted to see if I could do it and I'm like oh my god I have to show these guys that I could do this and I was so nervous but I did it and the rush that I got after was like I had just gotten off a roller coaster. Like it was just insane. And I felt so proud of myself that I could actually do it. So that's, I, I always tell the kids, you get the same rush as you get on a roller coaster. And A, iron workers can build roller coasters. So what would you say are some of the challenges you run into on the job? Well, there's challenges and barriers on every job. It's not just select to construction. You're going to have the challenges and barriers everywhere. So the, the, the challenges and barriers that you think of right away, you think of like harassment and stuff, being a woman in the trades and all those types of things. Well, those types of barriers are everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're working at the makeup factory with all girls or if you're working on a construction site. We all know that people are people and people gossip and they say things to hurt each other. And that that that's never going to stop. What's really important is your attitude and how you deal with it. Can you put your feelings aside at work and just keep working regardless of that? Now, the other side of the sectors that could be a little bit of an issue sometimes is that we work in all different environments. So sometimes I have to go out west to work. And as I said before, I'm working myself out of the job. So sometimes I have to be comfortable with the fact that I've got to move around. I don't always get to work in Ontario. So I live in Ontario, but I've spent time working in Fort McMurray because we have to travel to where the work is. For some people that might not work out so well for them because maybe they have to stay home because maybe they're a single parent or maybe they have to stay home for family reasons. Maybe somebody in their family is sick and they need to be there, there to take care of them. So those could be some of the challenges and barriers. Then we work in all types of weather. So we're working out um, in the cold when you go to Fort McMurray in the winter, as you would know quite well, <laughs> it, it's cold. It could be harsh environments. So you have to deal with those environments as well. And some people don't feel comfortable or enjoy necessarily. I know I don't like working in the cold, but as they say, the heat is in the tools. So you, you get over that challenge and a barrier by working your butt off to stay warm and taking the appropriate Uh, rest when you need it to stay warm. Those are some of the challenges. It is hard work. I'm not going to say it's not hard work. So you have to go, you have to be driven and you have to be driven to succeed when you're working hard. And the one thing I like about the hard work is that I embrace the hard work because it definitely keeps me in shape and I don't need to spend money at the gym. That is awesome. And then at the end of the day, you're just so exhausted. Like I've had sleeping issues my whole life and the entire time I was working in the trades, I just I was sleeping for seven to eight hours a night and it just, I loved it because you're just so exhausted that you, you go home at the end of the night and you pass out and, and also the being outside and the sunshine. I mean, it's, it's great for vitamin D and I think overall it's just good for mental health for the most part being physically active. Oh, it definitely is. And it's like, there's so many aspects of it that are so empowering because you are outside and you're being active and your muscles are growing and I know when I started in the trades, I lost so much weight and all of a sudden I had like these toned arms and I'm like, wow, look at me. I like best shape of my life. Right. And it just felt so great. Yeah. So what do you love about your job? I love so much about my job. I could talk all day just about that. 
But I love the fact that I get to work with different people all the time. I love the fact that I've worked with people from different countries, uh, different backgrounds. I've gotten to know so many cool people in the trades. I love the fact that I get to build things, that I get to tell other people that I've been a part of building. I get to work with a crew, and whether I'm connecting the steel together or welding the steel, I know that looking back, I had something to do with the structural integrity of that building. And that's pretty cool that I get to share that with my friends and family. It's, it's actually so empowering. So if you think about being a young kid and you put together a Lego set or you put together a puzzle or you built a birdhouse or something like that, remember that feeling that you got, like the, the feeling of accomplishment and empowerment, like, oh my God, I just mm -hmm. built this. Think about that on a way larger scale. Think about somebody who got to build like a huge bridge that gaps like a river or a, a, a part of a lake or somewhere in the like Vancouver along the ocean. Think about, you know, those people that put up those those big malls where people are going to enjoy time with their family or those theaters where people go to enjoy watching movies together on their first dates. And when they first fall in love, like I get to be a part of that. I get to be a part of that structure and it just blows me away and makes me so, so proud of what I do. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of those structures, I mean, they're going to transcend time. They're going to still be here when, you know, both you and me are dust in the ground. So I think that the little things like that too, sometimes I just find fascinating. Oh, I do. Yeah. Same. And you know, these structures not only are going to stand for years, but they're what decorate our countryside. They're what bridge our gaps. You know, people who work on, I think about people who work on planes and build ships like Boilermakers who weld ships together. Those ships take people all over the world. And it, you're just part of creating everyone's journey and everyone's, I don't know how to explain it the way I'm thinking of it, because it's just so vast and so amazing. So when you're talking about working with people from other countries, is there a, the ability to do international work? Yes. So th that's another thing. When you think about the construction sector, uh, you can always work at home. There's always going to be construction. Everything from the deepest mine to the furthest space station has to be built and maintained by people. So when you think about it, everywhere in the world, we have homes, we have offices, we have workplaces, we have roads, we have bridges, we have all these places everywhere. So you can literally go anywhere in the world and work in construction. So it's once you have that ticket, it's, it's an amazing opportunity if you wanted to travel, if you wanted to move to a co another country, even if you wanted to go backpacking somewhere and you happen to run out of money in New Zealand or something, you could go on to a job site and get a, get a job as a construction worker because they will never stop needing us anywhere in the world. That's awesome. Is there much... I kind of asked this of everyone on the show, and obviously it's going to vary from province to province and country to country, but what would the wages be say from Alberta to Ontario wages will change province by province and within different unions just like apprenticeships are different in different trades and different unions but some of the starting wages right now apprentices are coming in and they could be making 25 26 dollars an hour to start and then their journeymen they're usually starting at about 40 to 60% of what a journeyman would make. And just for an example, my job last summer working for Hydro One, 
we were making $52 an hour and that's pretty good money. Oh, wow. When I was out West, we were making $44 an hour, but it was very different work and different contracts. So there's different contracts and different collective agreements. So it just depends where you're working and what trade you're in, whether you're working for the union, whether you're working non-union, but whatever you're doing, there's no reason why as an apprentice, you can't be making 40 to $60,000 a year to start. And that's awesome because it makes going to school for those two months so much more affordable when you're already making a good income. For sure. And I know that there's a lot of government grants and incentives to go to school too. So with some of the trades when they're graduating or when they're going through their terms of school, they're actually getting grant money given to them after attending school and passing just as an incentive to keep them going in the trades. And a lot of the times you can be on EI as well while you're in school, which obviously there's a lot of other professions like, say, nursing, that they don't have the luxury of having the government assist them while they're training. So it, I, I hate to say it, but some days I feel like we're kind of spoiled as uh, trades workers from other for fields. For sure. What I love about trades is as a person who could never imagine sitting in the classroom, I hated school. 90% of your schooling Earning while you're learning is done on the job site. And only 10% of it is actually done in school. So it's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. And that's a learning model that works for a lot of people. And the supports are there as well, or at least they were when I was in school, that if you are someone that struggles academically, say with reading or comprehension, or you need extra assistance, at least the school I was in, which is Nate, they were really, there were some guys that would have the test like our exams read to them because they're really bright individuals. It's just, you know, um, especially with things like dyslexia, it's sometimes it's harder to read for some people than others. Yes, exactly. Exactly. No, they could be very accommodating and helpful. And I've always, I've known people who were struggling with math and English and stuff and they got tutors or they were helped by other people in school or in the class or the instructors and they made it through. We're here to all help each other, right? As long as we're helping each other, we're, we're going places where it's just, it's, it's an amazing, they call it a brotherhood, but it's like family. We all help each other and we try to um, support each other the best we can. So yeah, there's been people when they're struggling with issues, you just help them along. I, I'm not the best with math all the time. So I'll always rely on my partners to help me out. Or the greatest thing I tell students is that, because uh, math is one of the things that most students really hate. And a lot of students are struggling with math in school. But I always tell them, once you get into the trades, and you're actually working out there doing your thing, not only does math get easier, because you're using it a practical sense to build things. But you can cheat on all your math questions at that point because you can always call a friend, use an app, use a calculator. There's always ways to find out the answers and you it's pretty much foolproof that you're going to get it right when you're on a site and you're bouncing your ideas with other people. Mm -hmm. And I found with school as well, it was really, that's a great way to make connections is if you have strengths in certain departments, like say you're good at math, if you're willing to help you know, other people out and help them with their math problems. Those are, you know, your future workmates. Because like you said, a lot of the time you're working yourself out of a job. So the more connections you can make in school, it's awesome for out in the field, because then you can call these people up and be like, hey, do you know if there's any work in town right now? And if you were nice to them, and you know, they remember you, they're more likely to be like, oh, yeah, hey, yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll ask my foreman and see if we can get you a job. Yeah, for sure. 
for sure. Connections are very important. Actually, I'll give you a statistic. I don't know if it's the same in Alberta, but I just heard this recently in an Ontario survey, but there is, so there's 80% of people right now that have entered trades are between 30 and 40. And they are people that have went to college or university and either did not find success or a job in the program that they took, or they don't like what they're doing and have moved over into a skilled trade apprenticeship to either pay back their bills or start a new career. Oh, definitely. That's how I found myself in the trades. It was until right before 30 that I got into the trades. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Are Do you find like, obviously, there's going to be a lot of travel involved with your work sometimes. Is there a good work life balance? For myself, I love the fact that I can travel and go anywhere. I live very low maintenance and I can close my door and leave for five months at a time and travel and it, it works for me. So it takes a certain type of person with a certain lifestyle, I guess, for it to work. So for me, I love it. And I believe that life is about working to live and not living to work. So I want to I wanted to find a career that suited the lifestyle that I wanted. And although it took me a while to start with traveling for my job, I really love the idea of traveling for my job because not only do you make more money when you travel away from home. So if I go out to Fort McMurray when it's booming, I make more money in less amount of time. So therefore to have that work-life balance and to be able to do all the things that I want to do, like the traveling I want to do, I am able to do that because I can work for a short period of time and then take the time off that I want and need to spend time with family, friends and traveling. So I I love that diversity that I have to be able to do that. So for me, the work-life balance is it's, it's kind of a dream condition that I have or dream circumstances, I should say. Yeah, and to be financially stable as well, it's just, it's really nice because then you don't have to be worrying about the bills and you can actually have savings, all those luxuries. One of the things that I think is very important and everybody in trades, I think should have, they should do some sort of, what's the thing, like learning how to budget. I think that's really important, learning how to handle your finances because when you're in the trades, it could be feast or famine situations. The work is really busy for a couple of years and then it slows down for a couple of years. So one of the things that I've learned to become really good at is saving my money for those times when it does get slow. So for me, it's very important to try and always have a reserve in the bank of about six months because you never know how long you might have out of work. And I like that six months too, because it kind of gives me a cushion. So if I am off for a couple months, I will have money in a reserve if I do want to go on a little mini vacation or do something different. So I like that. So I, I always tell people when I advocate on behalf of the trades that they should always make sure no matter what career they have, though, that they always save for that rainy day and always have that cushion of money in the bank. That's awesome advice. Like that's definitely, I wish more people would heed it. And then in these times of, because we're definitely in a tiny bit of a famine here in Alberta, unfortunately. So there's people that are losing their houses and, you know, losing their vehicles. And to have that cushion just makes life a little less stressful at times like these. It does. And people have to learn. And it's a tough lesson to learn, but it's not living outside of your means. So a lot of times you end up on a shutdown. And I know I've, I've been in those shoes too, where in the beginning, I spent way more money than I thought about over the long run, because yes, people will make a sick amount of cash in a short amount of time and then decide to invest in big trucks and nice houses. And then all of a sudden, that 
the work can change. The, the, the circumstances for work can change like overnight. Who would have thought a few years ago that Fort McMurray would just all of a sudden come to almost a halt. And now a lot of those people have bills that are outside of their means now. So that's, that's where you have to really think ahead and plan out the money you're going to make and how you're going to spend it moving forward. So it's always good to figure out, <laughs> I like to say, figure out how much you can afford on unemployment and adjust your living to that <laughs> or save for what you want and buy it cash. Can you explain to us what MITC stands for and the importance of advocating to youth about the opportunities in these sectors? Yes. So MITC is kind of our own acronym that we came up with at Kick-Ass Careers. So instead of STEM being uh, science, technology, engineering, and math, we wanted to find something that suited more of what we were advocating on behalf of. And that happened to be mechanical, industrial, technology, and construction. So those are the sectors that we feel most represent the construction world in everything in the skilled trades and building and construction trades aspects sort of thing. Um, so that's what we came up with that as, as our acronym. I'm definitely passionate about promoting those career pathways to students. I'm so apprenticeship is just so important to me. And I think it stems back from when I was in high school and nobody told me about these opportunities. And therefore I kind of, you know, they say birds of a feather flock together. So I kind of went off with the crew in high school that was kind of the same as me. We were not the academics. We weren't sitting in the library studying or in the cafeteria studying. We kind of did our own thing. And we would kind of probably, looking back, we were like sort of the bad crowd. But when I look back now and think about it, we weren't actually the bad crowd. We were just the bored crowd because nobody was telling us that we could do anything better. So we kind of were putting into this category of stupid kids. And we weren't stupid. Um, in fact, when I look back now, most of them are all very successful in skilled trade careers. So for me, it became really important to start reaching out to students about these opportunities because I know there's a lot of students that are in school that are struggling and they do feel the same as I felt. They probably feel like they're not intelligent because they don't understand things in an academic realm. They don't want to go to college or university. That's not their drive. And they need to understand that college and university are not the only pathways. That apprenticeship is a, an amazing pathway with opportunities that are endless in so many different sectors and there's so much room to grow and climb. And why pay to go to college and university when you can actually get paid to do something you're passionate about? So I am super passionate about talking to kids. I love working with youth. I love working with at-risk youth. I'm in and out of school six months a year. And it's great to see the transformation in some of these students and the, the, the hopelessness in their face turn to hopefulness when you actually start to talk to them about opportunities to get paid to go to school and work on a construction site. So as the founder of Kick-Ass Careers, can you tell us about some of the services this organization provides? Like I know you go to a lot of the high schools and you like to talk to the students. What are some of the things you're doing right now? There's different organizations that we work very closely with. So in Ontario specifically, we do a lot of work with the Pathways Coordinators so they have the different pathways programs, which is the Ontario Youth Apprenticeship Program, the Specialist High Skill Major Program. We encourage co-op programs and dual credit programs. 
We do a lot of work also with Skills Ontario, which is the provincial chapter of Skills Canada. So we do a lot of work with these organizations. We do um, community outreach. We'll go to different places. I've gone into maximum security detention centers to speak to at-risk youth. And then we'll go to community centers of people who are just looking for uh, careers, different career paths. Um, I've, I've spoken at um, shelters and just different things. We do everything from mentoring at mentorship dinners. We do panel speaking. We do keynote speaking. We have a really, really fun, engaging photo booth. And three of the things we always say, our three core values are engage, educate, and encourage. And out of those three, I think above all is engage. First of all, if you're talking to youth, one of the most important things is get them engaged in what you're talking about. Otherwise, you are not going to be able to educate them because they won't be interested. So we use a photo booth. That's a social media photo booth. We get them dressed up in authentic construction workwear. We make them part of our presentation. So we'll pull kids from the crowd, bring them on stage, dress them up as construction workers and have them participate as part of the program and part of the, the presentation. We do neat workshops. We'll work with kids on building skills. Um, we do tower builds. We do, um, we have this one workshop that we do where we have, I call it Lego on steroids, but it's this, they're called IQ bricks and I'll have the students working in groups and they're learning how to do teamwork while they build these kind of Lego things that have gears and I make competitions out of them. And then what I find is after you've worked with these kids and engaged with them, then it's easier to connect with them when you're telling them, you're talking to them about like educating them about careers. So I try to engage with them before I actually give the presentation to them, which I think is really important. Some of the other things we do is instead of just being speakers, because there's so many speakers that come out to an, a presentation, they're in the back door, they do their presentation and they're out the back door. And to me, that is not how you reach youth. That's not how you provide education and ongoing mentorship. You need to get you need to get engaged with these youth and be active in encouraging them. And so oftentimes after my presentations, I will actually spend the rest of the day at the school just because I want to stay there. And I'll go around from all the shop classes and hang out with the kids in the shop class and get them to show me their projects. And sometimes I've even gone into the shop classes and worked with them and welded with them and showed them tricks. And it's just, it's empowering because it's, it's just a different way of reaching and connecting with the students. Because for me, that connection piece is the most important piece out of all the things that we do more so than the presentations. For sure. And I'll also be linking to your social media sites, but I think you're one of my favorite people to follow because I just see all these pictures of students in the construction gear, but there's always smiles on their faces, which is like a bit of a miracle sometimes when it comes to high school students to get that out of them. But it's just they're genuinely having fun and you, that really comes across in the photos. Oh, for sure. It's, it is so much fun. Actually, today, just today, I had to go to an alternate alternative education classroom. So I had to do two presentations in a row. And it's funny because the alternative education classrooms are usually the, the students that are struggling. They're struggling academically, but they're really brilliant students. They're just not getting good marks in some of the courses. So they go to this alternate education program where they do make up credits and stuff, right? So today I went there and, and so often they're the at-risk youth. And they sent me to the school today. And at first, none of the students were really interested because we were trying to get all the students from a couple different classes to come down to one class to listen to the presentation. And they were like, Jamie, this is going to be a tough crowd. You might not get many of them. Please don't be too insulted. So I walked into the one classroom and I said, okay, you guys coming down to the other presentation? And they're all like, mm, not sure. And I said, 
Uh, well, just so you know, I'm going to be talking about how you can get paid to go to school. And all of a sudden they're like, what? You can get paid to go to school? Yeah, you can. How? Come to the presentation. Awesome. So yeah, so it's fun. And then they, they loved the presentation. Actually, a couple students came back for the second one. Do you remember as a child what you wanted to be when you grew up? My first dream was to be a ballerina and work at McDonald's and have 20 kids. <laughs> yeah, there's no man in the picture, but somehow I was going to have 20 kids. And then my, I, I probably changed my mind every two months from the time I was like four years old until I discovered the trades. That's awesome, though, to be multi-interested. Like they're saying nowadays, like when you look at people like Elon Musk, that's why he's been so successful. It's not because he has one interest or one passion. It's he's multifaceted and loves to pursue multiple things. So it, it, it doesn't surprise me that you've been so successful in your career and also in advocating to youth because you do have those broad ranges of interest, I guess. It's part of my presentation, and it's something that – when I started working out West, I had never been to the mountains before. And 2012 was the first time I went out West. I went to Vancouver and I remember climbing the chief with my cousin. And I was like, oh my God, I am so fascinated with climbing mountains. I fell in love with the mountains. So one of my big drives for working out West is not only because the money's good and I enjoy working out there, but it's when I take my time off, and this is part of this work-life balance thing, when I take my time off, I love heading to the mountains and I want to summit every single mountain in the Rockies that I can. Cause it's just, it's beautiful. But one thing I realized about the mountains is it's, they remind me of life because your goal when you're in the mountains is to get to the top of the mountain. You want to summit that mountain. But the thing is, is that when you look at a mountain, especially the ones out there, there's never a straight path to the top. So you have to go around so many obstacles and barriers to get to the top of that mountain. So you might have glacier lakes and glaciers and rock slides and boulders and ravines and cliffs and all kinds of barriers. And it's tough. And there's been oftentimes when I've gone to the mountains hiking with people and I'm hiking with them and eventually some of them drop off and quit. And the next thing you know, sometimes I've been in the mountains where I've actually had to finally, finally summit that mountain on my own. And that's what life is like. You're, you're going to be off on all these paths and you might pick a path that because you're young and you pick a path that some of your friends are taking and you're going to, you know, maybe you're choosing to go to this college to go with your friends and then maybe you don't accept, get accepted or they don't. And you have to find all these obstacles to get to that goal. You have to pass through all these obstacles to get to that goal. And you're not always going to get there with the support of anybody else. Sometimes you have to go it alone. But one of the most important things I think about getting to the top of that mountain and reaching your goal is to celebrate that success. But if you've ever stood on top of any other mountain, you're going to realize that when you stand on top of that mountain, you will see dozens of other mountains around you. And at that point, why do you just want to settle on that mountain? Why don't you look for another mountain and climb another one? And that's how I see life. I see life as always trying to find new goals and becoming interested in other places and the other unknowns. So I'm constantly trying to look for different experiences, different pathways, different career goals to get to the top of other mountains and exceed in all areas that I possibly can. 
That's so beautiful. When are you going to start writing a book? <laughs> <laughs> it's, part of, it's actually one of my stories. I, I end all my presentations with that story about the mountains. And I have this beautiful picture of me standing on Abbott's Ridge. And I actually want to be on Sir MacDonald Mountain that's across the way. And I tell them all the obstacles I had to go through that day and still didn't end up on the top of the mountain I wanted to be on. So you know, you, you have so many different options in life and, and there's mountains everywhere and it's up to you to pick the ones you want to climb and get to the top of them, no matter what the obstacles are. I have a picture and it's this beautiful mountain and you can see the switchbacks through the mountain and it just, it's just gorgeous. And you see the zigzags going up the side of the mountain. And I see those as the barriers that you come into and you find ways around those barriers. And so my last slide, when I talk to kids is always that your path will never be straight, but that doesn't mean that your path can't be beautiful because every single one of those challenges that are put there are for your own benefit. Those challenges are put there for you to grow stronger and find ways to succeed and surpass those those challenges. And one of the things I love to say is that the, the best revenge you can have is success. So getting to the top of the mountain and proving that mountain that it couldn't hold you back, that those challenges it threw at you could not hold you back is the best revenge. So I love, I don't know, I just love that saying. I love that just because uh, more of an, uh, on a personal note, but I had a lot of friendships in high school that were maybe not the most healthiest relationships and they would put me down a lot in in many ways. I, you know, I traveled the world and I got a post-secondary education. I went to the trades, but it's always kind of felt like, yeah, success is the best revenge. You know, if somebody says you're not good enough to do something, somehow doing, being exceptional in some way feels good. <laughs> it does. It does. And, and instead of being mad at the, the, those, so I see those challenges and barriers also as people who don't believe in you, the people who gossip about you, the people who hurt you, those are some of the challenges and barriers. And those are very big challenges and barriers because that knocks your self-esteem, your self-confidence. But honestly, why hold anger or resentment to those people when I like to take that negativity that's coming from them? And this took me a long time to, to get this strength to do this. But when people are sending negative your way, why not take that negative and see it as a challenge to be more successful? So the more somebody says no to you, the more you're going to try to prove them wrong. And so that's why to me, instead of being, inst instead of fighting fire with fire, you just fight it with success. And at the end of the day, when you are shining and successful and you can look back at them and then they're seeing that you're successful, that that's amazing because they didn't help you get there. You got there on your own. And that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. It's kind of killing them with kindness. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It takes a long time to feel that way. And sometimes I don't always feel that way, but at times it's like, Oh my God, you know, I just, I don't know it, it on a work site, for example, we've all had to work with people in some point of our life that we have issues with, right? Like in school, you have to work on projects with people that you don't like. In non-work sites, you have to work with people you don't like. And you have to learn to check your feelings at the gate because honestly, an employer doesn't care about the drama. They care about how much money you're making them. So being able to work with people and rise to the challenges is a very important thing. And when you prove that you can do your job without those 
negativity is dragging you down and, you know, gossiping and causing all kinds of problems for people because they cause problems for you. At the end of the day, I always like to think that you're going to be the one that's going to succeed. You will be the one that's recognized for your work ethic. You will be the one that's promoted. And in the construction industry, you know, just as well as I do, there is pretty much no limit to the places that you can go with promotions and branching off into different sectors and the training that we could do. I mean, you can go from the tools to the white hat to the CEO and make so much money and you could be so successful. Exactly. So where can we find out more information about all the amazing things you're doing right now? Like on the interweb, do you have a website? We have a website. It's kickasscareers.org. We also have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, if you hashtag Kickass Cruise, you'll find us absolutely everywhere. One of the things, if you ever want to reach out to me, I'm always I'm always open to people talking to me and even students. If there's any students listening to this, if students are interested in talking to somebody or wanting any uh, connections to mentors or questions about the industry. I'm always open to answer questions and be there to support and encourage and link anyone up to somebody that could help them along their way. There's just no words for the gratitude. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing for the industry and for all the advocacy work. I just feel like you're just one of these little mighty women that you're doing everything right now. And I'm just so proud, proud of the work you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you for sh coming on the show. I know you have a very hectic schedule right now, so I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Well, thanks. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate that you um, had the interest in learning more about kick-ass careers and learning about how it all happened and what I do. I hope you enjoyed learning about all of the benefits to working in the trades. And we will be linking to Jamie's website. So if this is a career path you're interested in, you can learn more. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to share it with friends and family. I think we all know that one person that could use the extra nudge in the right direction. I know I'm guilty. This week, I'll be visiting a career counselor. So wish me luck because they are probably going to obliterate my resume. If you'd like to learn more about the show, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at CareerPod. Thank you so much for joining us today. Till we meet again, stay passionately curious.